Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you are listening to Vodka O'Clock. And don't forget, if you uh, haven't paid attention, then you might not have heard the news that my mystery novel, Cardiac Arrest, came out in January. So you can find out all of the information about that and the links and where to get it. You can go to Amazon and get it, easiest way. Um, but go to amberownmass.com, and I have a couple pinned posts about cardiac arrest. And to sponsor the show on the website, go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked, and it really helps me out a lot. So joining me today is one of my Twitter friends. Ben Cohen is on the show. We're going to talk about all kinds of comic-related stuff, and like, you know, we're big, bad social justice warriors. So we're going to talk about how, how indie comics uh, can tackle certain issues, and we're just going to talk about indie comics in general and things like, um, you know, the differences between sometimes you don't want to read about capes and tights, even though you can tell the same kind of story. So, Ben, hey, thank you for being here. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, uh, yeah, so Twitter is a hell of a place. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes the trolls come out. St- stuff happens. That's true. St- st- yeah, it's funny. It's funny about trolls. So I say so much stuff, sometimes more aggressively than some other people say it, and they hardly ever bother me. And it's so weird that they would just leave me alone and then bother somebody else. I'm thinking it might be the color of my skin and my sexual orientation and my gender. Yeah, you think they can? It's true because um, a friend of mine, who's a you know white guy, he had he changed his avatar to him in a mask. I think it was like a Harley Quinn mask yeah. or something. So you couldn't see his face at all. And Harley is obviously very popular sure. with female fans. And all of a sudden that day, he started getting trolled way more. And he has a he has a very gender neutral name, Jesse. He know, you know yeah. Jesse writes for my site, so I mean that's certainly a name that you can't tell. And he got he got hammered that day. Wow, that's uh, that's how it works there, I guess. Yeah, it's true. If you change your avatar, in fact, somebody did an experiment. I believe it was last year, and I don't remember anything about who organized it. But with permission, people swapped avatars to take on. Um, the avatar of like a woman of color to see the difference in responses. And it was like this big experiment. And I, I, you know, congratulate them on trying to pull this off on, on something as massive as Twitter. And uh, yeah, people learned some lessons that week. (laughs) It's a good, I mean, that it's true. That's a really good lesson because you can really, it's your only chance to, it's probably one of the most purest chance to really walk in somebody else's shoes um, just having that experiment and obviously permission is important, but just, right. just to be able to learn that from a privileged place is pretty important. It is. So, um, you know, when we talk about comics, a lot of times there's superpowers mm-hmm. and shape, shape shifting and godlike yeah. abilities and becoming invisible, you know, um, and comics has has a growth. It has its own evolution. There was even an old Wonder Woman comic where I think she was transformed into a, an African American woman. Right. I think it was from the seventies. Yep. Um, and it, I mean, it was done with purpose. But now that people look back at it, they're very critical of what were you thinking? Right. Um, 
It's and it's sort of like blackface of comics. Sure, I guess. Well, it's a hard uh, thing because I think that it's important for every generation to relook at the past and to analyze it. And it's also a difficult thing to put that in perspective as well. There's a balance there. But, yeah, I mean, comics, at least superhero comics, are originally a reaction by oppressed people. And the only thing is that they've been able to, my people, Jewish people, been able to make their way in, in, in certain paths in society in part because while not all we are actually not of one color we typically have pretty pale skin and we're able to assimilate more easily than many other cultures are able to right and a lot of people don't even realize um that superman's creators were jewish boys yep. you know I say boys because they were so they young. Were, they were boys. <laughs> they were boys. Um, you know, they don't even realize that. A couple of times, uh, including uh, the past week, I've had unusual tirades by people who are, you know, fans, whether they're casual yeah. fans or diehard fans, whatever their, their spectrum is, who kind of go on these big tirades. And, and recently, this, I, for lack of a better label crazy person Mm -hmm. came onto my friend's Facebook page and posted out of the blue unasked for unsolicited uh, about how casting of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman was anti-American and that the Jews took over Hollywood and it's all their fault. Um, And then he started going, then he went from her to Batman to something awful about Superman, and then somehow it became Obama's fault. Well, yes. It was just this unbelievable, incoherent, all one sentence, by the way. Right. There was no, no curious. <laughs> um, title case, not all caps. Give him credit for having a little variety there. It was title case. And I thought, so me and many other people commented and just said, by the way, Wonder Woman's creator wouldn't agree with you. And by the way, she was not born in America. So her casting choice was just fine. Said it pleasantly in case you didn't know, you know, and by the way, Superman's creators were Jewish. And this guy ended up privately emailing me twice because I didn't reply to him. It was in that filtered folder that nobody looked at. And he, so he privately emailed me then, not on my friends list, uh, the, uh, more tirades and wow. accusing me of messaging him. I'm like, dude, I didn't message you. Like, I, <laughs> I, posted the, I posted the facts that you were wrong about. Like, I posted the facts that Wonder Woman was from an island, not America, and that Superman's creators were Jewish. Like, that's literally – so I just didn't engage, and I just blocked him. And I re- tried reporting it, and, of course, you know, Facebook doesn't do anything. Yeah. So, you know, Twitter doesn't do anything about abuse either. And, um, you know, the, but we have to give acknowledgments to people who have contributed to the comics and, um, there, there actually are, you know, Jewish comic festivals these days. And I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it, we're, we're not the only ones who are creating comics, obviously. Um, and, but we made a big stamp with, with Superman at least. And it's like the biggest. And it's an interesting thing because, you know, 
Snyder has taken it and tried to make it a Christian. He's appropriated our culture, essentially, and made it this uh, Jesus figure. That's not offensive. (laughs) (laughs) That's done with every character. And the parallels today are uh, we have Trump, who essentially is taking the path that Hitler took. And that was he was created with the idea of being the outsider and assimilating into an American culture and at the same time uh, reacting towards uh, Hitler uprising. And here we have a situation where Snyder thinks, oh, this is the Superman we need today, this angry emo Superman. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not what we need, and it's not his place really, except for it is his place because Legally speaking, he can do whatever he wants. He got hired to do it, yeah. yeah. Um, there is, I just want to give a little shout out. My friends in, out in Pittsburgh have made an anthology called Hutz Pow. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, so it's about a specifically Jewish comics anthology. And um, so look up. Uh, cool, yeah, check that out. Yeah, Hutz hyphen Pow. And. Um, cool. They've been doing it for a couple of years now, and it's really cool. There's also, um, there, last year, I believe, was the first year for a, um, I think, I want to say it was a Muslim comics convention out in the Midwest somewhere. Um, I remember getting the press release, but it was such a long time ago, so I don't remember the name of it, but it was held in, I think, a museum. So people that are finding safe spaces and building their own safe yeah, spaces absolutely. to talk about their comics. And that's, that's one of the main, like that's the funny situation that I'm in always, which is um, my representation is, you know, I, I said this the other day on Twitter, my representation is oversaturated there. I, I don't, I don't need to speak up. <laughs> I don't need to right. put myself forward at all. Really? Um, except for I grew up with comics culture and I, this is my medium. And so I try my best to, to walk a really, really tight rope there. But the reality is that the more we have both widespread representational changes from all these different, uh, groups of people and even more importantly, that they're allowed to use the medium and speak within their own communities and cultural sections without other people coming in and interrupting is really important. And so it's a really, it's an amazing time in comics. Um, Shoot, I can't remember who said it, but one of the great cartoonists from the 40s who's been working all along and is still alive, he characterized the current era as the second golden age. And he's lived through all of the ages, so I, I would agree with him. What was it like growing up for you? Did you have any awareness about this you know, yes. sort of thing? That's the okay. only reason I speak up at all. Okay. Um, my, my parents are – so my, my mom is from a typical white Christian background. She grew up in Oklahoma. Family came over on the Mayflower, the whole nine yards. And my dad is Jewish and came over – his family came over – in like 1885 and they're from Chicago and I was born in Boulder but I grew up in Berkeley and the neighborhoods that I lived in in Berkeley were predominantly 
um, African-American, and there was a huge population that was Filipino. My best friend was Korean. Uh, we certainly had a lot of a lot of people in my life that were gay and lesbian. The first people to give me comics were the lesbian couple down the street. Stuff well, like that. Nice. I mean, it was just that's that was my experience, and so I understood very quickly because it was usually the first thing that people would bring up. These are the boundaries, <laughs> and um, but you are welcome to participate because we are a community, and it's shocking to go from that environment into I then went into a more privileged environment that's still pretty diverse, but wealth inequality was suddenly an issue that, you know, we were essentially a poor area and then I went to a more rich area and that changed my perspective in a lot of ways. And then I went to school in the South and that I was prepared for because I had family from Oklahoma, but it, it was still an interesting situation. And then coming up to New England has been different too. So everywhere I go, it's a new lesson. And it's funny that social media really has been the, probably the best lesson. Um, if you just sit there and listen, you, you learn so much. I think that um, some people haven't learned that skill. Yeah. Uh, I mean, conversation. It's just conversation. Yeah. And um, it gets brought up a lot, and because we're so trained from birth to just, well, that's how it is, you know, like men talk more in a room or men talk more on a discussion panel, you know, that you go see, yeah. um, executive boardrooms, that kind of a thing, there are, you know, there are studies done. I mean, they, like, there's somebody actually counting the minutes and, or counting the many, how many times a woman is interrupted, and... Um, like the Gina Davis Institute, it's brilliant. They do incredibly hard work doing things like counting the minutes, counting the number of people on a screen and the ratio of men to women in the actor pool there. Um, and unless it's pointed out, sometimes we're just trained to say, well, this is normal. It's, it's incredible. I mean, my wife is here. She can tell you. <laughs> I talk too much. I interrupt all the time. And I was born into a situation where I was learning that better than that, but it's still so ingrained and it's so hard to just, you know, shut your trap. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you have a lot of siblings? Yeah, I have a, I have a complicated family. So I'm the oldest of two boys, but then I have two younger sisters that are half siblings. And then I have an older sister and an older brother that are step. Okay. And um, even that family dynamic um, beyond that core group starts to get more diverse and more complicated as, as you spread out through the family tree. But um, I have the experience of being the oldest, and my brother would, would tell you that I definitely – there was one time where we were sitting at the dinner table, and my dad and I are arguing, which is what we did all the time. Uh, it's like <laughs> training for a debate. Um, at some point, Jordan, I forget how old Jordan was. He was like six, maybe. And he just couldn't take any more. He says, shut up. And all of a sudden we were like, oh, 
this is an actual problem. This kid can't speak his mind because these two guys keep talking. And my mom, I spent most of my life with, most of my childhood with my mom and my brother. Um, we got, it was a divorced family when I was five and we just, we lived with her most of the time. So she, she's not quiet. She's outspoken. She's very uh, well-educated and has opinions and is a strong person. And that's helped me at least realize when I'm talking too much after the fact that whoever's complaining about it is 100% right. But a lot of people don't even have that lesson. Right. And it's it, it can be very difficult when you do have a, a strong opinion and passion about something. Like, obviously... Yeah. I'm here to talk to you. I'm here to hear you. And I'm definitely going to ramble. It's just going to happen because we're talking about things that both of us really like to talk about. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, obviously online is a different dynamic because it's all texting and stuff. Um, yeah. But there, if, yeah, I imagine in, you know, in a, in a family depending on what it is, if it, I, I just think about, you know, when animals need to like fight for the food bowl, right. Right. like somebody, somebody's fighting for the microphone. Like somebody exactly. needs to always be talking and um, who's going to be the loudest. Uh, and, you know, there'll, there'll be, whether it's the middle child that gets, you know, quiet and reserved or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, some uh, psychological issue that somebody else, somebody, some body language expert could figure out. <laughs> Yeah, we had the we had the advantage of being at least on my dad's side. The tip it was it's actually an interesting dynamic. So my mom's side is really like everybody's polite and waits for people to finish their sentences, and the conversations usually are within a certain volume and language and uh, subject structure. There's limits, right? You can say whatever you want, but how you do it is appropriate. My dad's family is stereotypically Jewish, loud, opinionated, just crazy. And that aspect of it really informs how you, how you interact. If I didn't have my mom's side, I would probably have no clue how obnoxious I can get. And it's a, it's a gift, really. <laughs> is, it, is anybody hard of hearing because this is the problem that like has made my situation worse now both of my parents oh, yeah. my dad actually has hearing aids and um when once they everybody started getting hard of hearing it's like oh my god we're now we are literally screaming right. at each other that's actually how it is in my wife's family they oh, they goodness. yell from room to room and it's like it's it's horrific <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I think it bothers her probably the most of anybody. Uh, so um, how did you go from being a comics fan to being a comics creator? Because, you know, you, you have the, the privilege, I'll say it's a privilege, but um, the talent also of being able to do the writing and the drawing, which is something I'm very jealous of. So how, how did you make that migration? Um, well, first of all, work. Uh, and I know that's cliche, but it, it's true. And I probably would be further along if I had, at various times, chosen to work more. Uh, I get into these situations where I second-guess myself or I compare myself to others or I'm dyslexic, so I I often 
get to a point in the process where I'm like, oh, I can't do it because of this. And I think what what originally set it off was a, some Tintin and Asterix the Gaul comics when I was four. And then some more comics, you know, some ElfQuest and some Wolverine comics and some Bill Sienkiewicz. Like, all these things pushed me, and I was drawing, and nobody told me, you can't draw. That's, like, key. Any kid who's told they can't draw, that's when they stop. Um, and then it became a situation where it was, like, me and one other person in class who were whatever school I was at at the time would be, like, competitive, but essentially other kids would be like, you're really good, but so-and-so is really good. And so that, that dynamic would push you. And then I went to art school. And the reason I went to art school was I wanted to study art, and then I dropped out, and then I found out that I could major in comics in Savannah, so I went there. And I then was in my element, but in a challenging situation. And so that kept that kept things going, but it also made it harder in that I was comparing myself in inappropriate ways to other people. Like there's some, I was in sort of the group that was dedicated to the craft, working hard, had some talent, but I was not the superstar. And the superstars were all really nice and, and they were really gracious and they were friends. And they immediately after school went off and did stuff. And I moved to Vermont. <laughs> That's what I did. So, yeah. So that kind and of then this, what, what, what year was this? What, uh, so I graduated with actually my master's um, in 2003. Okay. So, all right. So it was still a slightly different time. Like we didn't have things right. like Kickstarter to fund your comics. No, no, and like we that. didn't, so, we didn't have top. That environment was completely different. So I went to school with, uh, undergrad, I went to school with Kelly Thompson. And Fantastic. My master's program was, you know, like Ben Toll, Robin Ch uh, Chapman, who uh, was instrumental at the beginning of uh, Center for Cartooning Studies here in, in Vermont, and James Sturm was our professor. Um, these people had a career path, like right off the bat. Uh, even uh, Phil Craven, he ended up doing all the storyboards for Kung Fu Panda, where he's like the cool. head storyboard artist. These are people that I went to school with that just immediately out of the gate came out. And I don't know what I was doing. And one day, like, so 2004 to 2007 or 2008, something like that. Maybe it was 2009. I don't know. Um, I was talking to Kelly Thompson, and she's like, Ben, you have to actually draw. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I was doing one page do a year or something like that. He's like, you actually have to make something. You can't just sit there and not do anything. I'm like, oh, okay. So that she really kind of was very helpful and uh, supportive. And she at the time was doing a lot of great work with uh, as a feminist critic for comics and in terms of writing uh, novels at that point. And now she's like, I, I I'm so proud of her. She's she's amazing. She's doing gem and all these other things. It's really cool. Um, but that allowed me to just sort of say, okay, it doesn't matter what anybody else 
is doing. It doesn't matter what um, my limitations are. It doesn't matter what the market even cares about for me. I have to figure out how to say something on a piece of paper. And so I just keep plugging away. And I'm now at the point where I can produce a book once a year. I have a crazy day job and schedule. So I can do one book a year, which seems like nothing. But to me, it's kind of like it, I feel content in some ways. Well, it's certainly it's one book more than people who just talk about it and dream about yeah, it. Well, me. It's more than I was doing. So I feel and trust me, I know, because it's taken me like five years and I still don't have this one shot done. So, I mean, <laughs> you'll get it. There. You'll get it. I mean, I know I know of what you speak there. Um, how then, you know, if you grew up with the same kind of books like Superman and everything, was there how did you how did you start thinking about this very real life indie route? Um, and it's not to say there aren't real-life books put out by some of the the, the bigger-name publishers, yeah. but um, a lot of the stuff usually, like I said, has superpowers or zombies or something in it. Sure. So, you know, you've you've used it to really channel what you're thinking yeah, and, I, and, and just put it into very real-looking people. I think partly it has to do with um, where I grew up and just that environment, but it also has to do with the, you know, I just, I, I liked counterculture music i was always into punk rock and and hip-hop and a lot of other stuff metal and just all these random things i get into noise music and weird jazz music and uh i also um my parents are not radicals but they were in when i was born they were sort of in a radical state uh and so that environment helped and at the same time, when I was in comic shops in Berkeley, like at Comics and Comics, you'd go in there and I'd go in there to buy. Well, first, I had been exposed to some European comics and some indie comics, but I remember seeing at a young age a Love and Rockets cover and going, that's in the adult section and that looks amazing. And yeah, it certainly stands out. It does. And so you go from that to uh, to just accidentally on your own because you don't know how to work, do experimental comics. That's I did that for a long time. I didn't know that's what I was doing. And then I go to school and there's context. And in that context, you also discover people like Adrian Tomini and Dan Klaus and Chris Ware, all the people that people like to hate now. <laughs> well, yeah, you're like the the anthology that I got to read with, you know, that you yeah. put together with a bunch of people in it reminded me of Ray Fox. Yeah. Um and it just it it's a very different reading experience yeah. than, you know, than picking up a capes and tights kind of book. Right. And they and and you have you have a situation where you if you are interested in history and culture, you start to look back on where you came from. Underground Comics, that's that's San Francisco. And uh, Progressive Agendas, that's the Bay Area in general. And aggressive ways of deconstructing and reconstructing culture in all different kinds of ways, it's you know kind of what I grew up in. And so for me, it's just natural to go 
in my own direction and try to uh, distill all of that down into panels and pictures. Well, let me ask you, since, you, you know, we, even though we're talking about things that can simulate real life scenarios and in, in the art itself, mm-hmm. if you could, you know, cure your dyslexia in a comic <laughs> character, like, you know, would you take the superpower? To... Would I take it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, I think that I would have a lot more confidence as an educator, which is something I, I still do, and I think I would have, and as a uh, cartoonist in both cases. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be second-guessing anything. I think a lot of the criticism that I that I get is filtered through that, that fear that I'm fucking it all up basically. And, uh, that is, it's hard for other people to realize, and I don't blame them for this at all. It's hard for them to realize that the criticism that they provide comes through that filter. And it's just what I grew up with. I grew up with this idea that I had a flaw and it's, I have, I, and I know that like dyslexic people have these extreme strengths on one side that other people just can't do. Like it's almost, you know, almost at that obnoxious, I'm a genius level on some things and this dichotomy between that and then this complete failure and something that's so basic. And so I don't buy into the genius side, but I also don't buy into the, I'm a failure side and that keeps me balanced, but it's interesting. I think that I would probably be doing better in my career and better as a, as a cartoonist and I probably have a, a pretty stable teaching job at this point if I didn't have those second guesses. Cause it's, it's something that I've noticed. Um, my friends who have disabilities, um, it's great when I start seeing these Twitter conversations and um, one of the things that gets criticized a lot is Daredevil, obviously, yeah. because, um, you know, he has these superhuman abilities and, uh, you know, and there's really no explanation for it. He's supposed to be blind. Yeah, I still, I've been, I've been paying attention to that since I was 10. I still don't quite understand. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, whereas some people look at, you know, at that and say, well, he's this hero, he's overcome this, and he's still not only a great lawyer, but he's a great superhero, too, and other people are very insulted and offended by it. So, um, you know, I can't say that I know of any dyslexic superheroes, but you're the second dyslexic author I've talked to. (laughs) Um, It's true. I'm not sure. Like, I'm sure there is. There's got to be. There's Yeah, there's They just don't put it on Front Street, which is the problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's uh, a lot of different issues came up when I was working on Rise Comics Against Bullying, Mm -hmm. which um, is a fantastic anthology. It's put out in issues. So I believe they're working on trying to get issue three done. Um, I was in issue two and uh, with Carolyn Bolesky. And even though because um, a lot of it seemed to... uh, talk about bullying against gay and transgender Mm -hmm. teens or, or, or um, even adults, we, uh, you know, all the creators did have a lot of diversity in there about things that made them different there. You know, there was a mental health story and mine was about um, uh, 
an African-American girl, you know, who gets uh, basically slut shamed, like her naked photo to her boyfriend gets passed around school. And um, so there's all this different bullying and shaming. And, you know, we, we mostly see it from the celebrities, but once in a while there are these disastrous cases of people committing suicide. Well, we're not supposed to say that, but people who take their own life. And um, it's, you know, if you were picked on in school, uh, you know, yeah. it, it could have kept you down forever. Well, it's, it, and that, that happened. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's directly, I think part of it, I never really, I think the dyslexia had something to do with it. Maybe they're part of the same issue, but I just always was like having trouble decoding social situations in some way similar to what someone who is autistic goes through, but maybe it's just really common. Maybe it's just super common. I just have no idea because the only perspective you have is your own. You're only in your own head. And so I, I there was cultural differences. Things were different in my house and outside of my house. But I really think that it was just general issues, understanding basic human behavior and intentions and coding that exist everywhere. And I don't know if it's really how my brain worked that was the problem or if it's just really common and I was um, sensitive enough to it to just let it get to me, which resulted in the opportunity for bullying. I don't know. But I got in plenty of fights as a kid. And it was just the way it, it, way it was for me. And it's, it's informed my uh, empathy, but, um, and I didn't get harmed very much, and I never got pushed to the point where um, I was in complete crisis. And I would say that that's true because of my parents and the stability of my home, even, when we were, even though it was divorced, my parents talked to each other. So, <laughs> okay. you know, and I wasn't being abused at home. And that's, okay. those are, those are things that people don't get, I think, in education in general is that, or they don't like to think about it and consider the fact that if a kid is not sleeping, they're not eating, they're being abused, they're not showing up in a, in a way that's to, to the rest of the world. They're not showing up in a way that's going to function uh, for them and for the classroom or for the workplace or for that social party. And it's hard to break through that because you can't just go up to that person and be like, I get you, now turn it around. You have to, it takes time. What's interesting is that um, your situation seems to come from uh, crit- you know criticizing your intelligence or ability in that regard, mm-hmm. and yet one of the the areas that we we both talk about a lot is body image and body shaming yeah. and uh, so recently Wentworth Miller's picture went viral because somebody made a meme about him that was very insulting about how he put on weight. Well, first of all, it was like a 10 year difference. So, you know, whatever, (laughs) we're not all going to look like we did when we were 20. Um, And, you know, he put on some pounds and he came out very openly and said he was very suicidal. Um, 
And it's interesting when celebrities talk about that. Jared Padalecki talked about that as well, how he just sort of, you know, he, he his career was perfect. His life was perfect. And, you know, and he had this complete breakdown. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to see, you know, Wentworth Miller, who's this, you know, hot, you know, and I believe gay icon for years, um, get slammed like that was a lot of people just were suddenly like, it's it just kind of a, it was just very interesting to me that they had all this empathy for a celebrity, but I, I'm like, you know, your own friends go through this and you're not paying attention. Yeah. It was sort of, you know, it's one of those things where when celebrity is part of the story, it people react differently. Um, yeah, it's it, I, I don't I don't think I'll ever understand that completely. I, and I know that I understand that that it's a story, it's a soap opera, and it's a um, it's been our way in our culture of having you know like a monarchy or a, uh, a somebody to look to put on a pedestal and tear down, and then this is just you know part of that whole dynamic. But it's so much more than that because it's it's our it's every single person's relationship with other people in their lives on on a screen or in a newspaper being played out. It's yeah, I mean the female celebrities. I don't know. Maybe it seems like female celebrities get slammed a, a lot more often because which is you know shows the perspective of what it's like being average um it's <laughs> yeah. you know like amy schumer's constantly yeah that was hammered. oh but, god she, but, and that was a double-edged sword with her it really was because I mean, she, either way like, she uh, i mean yeah she's right but she's she's really tearing like it, i think people love to hate her because she's outspoken yeah, but the other thing about it is, like, it was a perfect situ. It's one of those perfect situations where what she's saying is completely right and completely wrong in a way because then, it's, then all of a sudden it puts it back on this perspective that there is one uh, beauty, that there's one, right. there's one self-image that we are all trying to attain, and th- that's simply not not the case. And she's right in saying, "Well, I'm not this." Because that's not a thing, <laughs> right? But uh, not everybody is going to have that perspective, and it just—it's such a hard thing because we don't really people don't like to admit and get that what they think aesthetically and uh, sexually are are the end all be all. They aren't. It's just. You're looking for a match in your life, and that other person's looking for a match, and sometimes they match. And when they don't match your spectrum of aesthetics, then then you get all freaked out because we all determine what is beautiful. Um, and the whole idea of what is beautiful is a, is a silly thing because you can find beauty in all kinds of weird situations. Right. I, I mean, just go to YouTube and look up uh, 
like photoshopping models because it's ridiculous. (laughs) I've seen some unbelievable transformations and uh, Carrie Washington now has come out for the second time to complain about a magazine photoshopping her to near unrecognizability. Um, And again, she was in this tricky situation. Like, you know, Amy Schumer was saying, Hey, look, it's not the, it's not that this article is bad. It's not that you shouldn't celebrate plus size, but there's a problem the way you did it. And Carrie Washington was like, Hey, I really like this article, but who the hell is that on the cover? It doesn't look like me. Um, You know, the skin lightening, changing her nose, you know, just changing her, like really changing her facial structure was odd because I've seen, normally we see women at least being slenderized and one time last year it was i believe she was a pop singer some very young girl was they were actually adding to her figure to make her more booty like yeah, you know bigger bigger curves trend, trend now yeah so it was like she was still thin yeah. she was still very thin but they wanted to make her look curvier and she you know she spoke out about that so it's you know, the celebrities themselves are, are taking matters into their own hands now, which is nice. How they get a hold of the pre-touched up photos, I don't know. Hmm. Because I think that's very interesting when, um, you know, when they show the side-by-side, it's like, well, how did you even get that? Yeah, because, that is weird. I wonder how they do that. Um, hmm. I don't, so, I mean, I, obviously male models are going to be Photoshopped too, but nobody ever really talks about it. Yeah. Well, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of one of the cool role models that's out there, though, is the bearded lady, uh, Harna Alcor. Oh, Ancourt. yeah. Yeah. She's so, she's so beautiful. She's, um, is she, that's in England, is that right? Uh, I, she might be in England. You know, I follow her Instagram, and I was trying to open it this morning, and my Instagram wouldn't open, of course, because I was, just because I wanted it to. Um. But she, like, got her first, like, catwalk, you know, modeling job, walking down for, you know, fashion. Um, So that's cool. And, you know, people like that are so rare, and they break this mold. And it's, you know, I have to ask, when are we celebrating them the vaudeville style like her at the freak show or are we celebrating her because she is beautiful that's that's every you bring up a subject that is that has come into the public you know domain essentially and it's all about exploitation i mean we exploit things all the time even when we're we're like oh, this person is great because they are representing me or they are representing something that has not been represented. It's Even when it's positive, it's an exploitation of that individual person. And that's always, I don't know, that always makes, I'm, I always have that after that. Hmm, I just retweeted that. I wonder if I should have. <laughs> yeah, and it usually I've, comes I've, down I've, to something like that. You know, the transgender community is finally done putting up with people's shit and they're speaking out a lot more. Um, And again, a lot of times it takes celebrity status to have those breakthroughs on on anything sexual related, whether it's sexual orientation or sexual presentation, which are different things. And um, they've been, they, they, they're such a good guide to how, 
how to address things. It's amazing. It, and I mean, like I said, I grew up a little bit in uh, exposed to that community, and 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 have had some friends in the in the past that have that come from from that, and I have friends now, and it's it's such a good place to uh, put yourself in perspective and what you're saying in perspective, but at the same time, when you do that, that's another form of potential exploitation. It's like it's such a weird thing because you know everybody's a person and so that's when it becomes this complicated but not complicated thing <laughs> that's why it's it was kind of cool the way the wachowskis handle their situation that's true um, I, that's a good point they they were very private people to begin with yeah. so you know interviews with them were, were even hard to find and then um you know, a couple of years apart or whatever, both of them coming out the way that they did was, uh, you know, they're, they're like, Hey, you already like our work. Right. And you didn't know anything about us. <laughs> and that's, you know, from a, from a storytelling perspective, that's always fun. You know, the big reveal, you're an idiot <laughs> right. for thinking these things and you knew better. Like it, that happens all the time to me. I'm, I'm like, I know better. And then something is revealed. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm just like everybody else. I'm terrible. <laughs> well, you know, one of my favorite comics right now is bitch planet. Yeah. And uh, part of that reason is because of how body diverse they are. It's um, Valentine Delandro yeah. is so good. Unbelievably good at crafting the the styles of these characters and um i you know i don't know if there's any transgender characters in that book i don't recall noticing it but i'm not always like the best reader in the world like yeah. i might you know it might I have been something i can pick up i i am not an expert on that subject so i can't yeah. say but yeah i i wouldn't be surprised but maybe maybe we're getting to the point where you don't you don't need to put that out there so much as it's funny. I, I really liked, uh, so I grew up reading X-Men and I really liked the coding of, you know, like Kitty, Kitty Pride, and how there is this coding in there. And it was intentional. And the only time it ever became a problem was when other writers would come in and not get the code and mess up the story. But essentially, you know, it's almost, it would be nice if we're at a point where we don't need to say, this person is this label, as opposed to just letting their story unfold and and letting it be, I guess that's kind of what I'm doing with my current book. I, I don't even, like, I don't even really know what my characters are in some ways. Like, I'm telling a story, but to a certain degree, I'm not being very specific about anything as far as that is concerned. I'm just trying not to erase and not uh, speak for other people, but at the same time having them be front and center because I'm tired of my own representation being on every page and the center of every panel. Well, I'm glad that you brought up X-Men, though, because it, um, as a creator, how how do you write 
a page where a character is, you know, maybe kind of a jerk or a little, you know, they, they're at a certain comfort zone with their friends. So they think something's not offensive when it is. And last year, I believe it was like Jean Grey knew that, um, uh, you know, I think it was Bobby is gay mm-hmm. or something. And, you know, she can't help not know that because of her, you right. know, her mind. <laughs> thing. But the way, it, you know, she was, she's a teenager. Yeah. She's going to say something and it was going to come off as kind of, uh, you know, like an invasive thing. And everybody got really upset. And it's like, okay, but sometimes you need to create the character and the character itself Maybe, you know, maybe the character isn't, uh, you know, a bigot or maybe the char- like you can't. I, I remember like Stephen King got an act about that as something like because uh, he had a real racist character in a book. Right. And it's like, well, you, you have to be able to write the bad guy. You can't, you, you can't erase <laughs> hate from your stories. That's just dumb. I mean, and in yeah. fact, in fact, what you should be doing is you, you should be getting to the bottom of their character. You should be figuring out who they are. But. You don't need to make them the primary person. You don't need to enter the story through their lens. You can make it about another person that has been marginalized and make it theirs to have them own their, have agency in their own story, and then through that also experience an understanding of what it is to be the person who's hating there's there's ways to go about it and then the other thing is that when you're speaking from a perspective when you're presenting characters that are complex humans which everybody is and then you also are showing diverse people and you're of one type of person and you have limited exposure and you've only walked in your shoes you really have to be conscious of that and careful, but you can you still have to have some ability, and uh, it's your job to tell those stories. Then in the marketplace, it's super important to make sure that you are promoting other types of people's perspectives, and you are putting their work forth um, sometimes ahead of your own. If you're one of if you're the type of person whose work saturates the market already. I think that's um, it's it's a good advice. You should always definitely promote people whose work that you you know that you like and stuff. But definitely, if you uh, you know if there's a a book by a queer creator or you know with a queer character lead, which I don't think there is in the mainstream anyway, um, you know the only way they're gonna know that they're that the publishers are going to know and that the creators are going to know that that it's working is if you tell them. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's something that now we have the, the much easier ability to do as opposed to the old letters columns, writing right. it out and sticking in the mail. And, you know, unfortunately the trolls have a much easier time now as well. well yeah. Um, but I think, uh, you know, like the, these very popular, well-known creators like, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick and uh, Sophie Campbell and stuff. They, they have a presence online and I imagine sometimes they need to just get the hell away from it. But Gail Simone and Kelly Sue are some are, are yeah. among the ones where I, they're so relentless. <laughs> they just, they don't back down and, and you know, it's uh, 
they'll speak out. Well, they'll use their they'll use their fame to speak out for other people. Yeah, and they're but they are really they try at least at, to the best of their ability. They're they're very conscious of their own privilege and they try to make space for other people as best they can. And there's all and that's a learning curve and there's always opportunity to do better in that, but they work at it. And that's that's good. But how do you feel about in the commercial aspect and the corporate aspect where, you know, like the comic book fan base really like hated Harley Quinn and Joker together because he's abusive and he's evil. And, um, you know, she was a battered woman over and over again. And they wrote her now she's, you know, I guess like she, I don't think they use the label, but she's polyamorous and she's, you know, she and poison Ivy have a great relationship and stuff. And, the movie that comes out is going to be her being abused by the Joker again. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, Suicide well, Squad's coming I mean, that, out. That's that's part of a. Well, I don't know. I have entire. I have so many problems with the current Warner Brothers approach that I don't know what's going to happen. I expect probably the worst. I hope I'm surprised. But, but she's I, still celebrated. Like people are looking at that Harley Quinn trailer, and. You know, and they're cosplaying as that version of her who we don't know the story, so we don't know if she somehow overcomes his abuse. But I, you know, know, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor both early on when I was at SCAD in Savannah, they came down and and Amanda did my first, she was the first pro to review my um, portfolio. And they're like the best people. I just love, I love those guys, and I don't know them that well, but I know, but they've had an impact on my life, and every time I do see them, they are like, hey, how's it going? Um, and I like their work, and I think that they're pretty solid in their perspective. I don't think that character is going to ever be um, an absolute hero for for everybody. And that's fine. It's a complex character and it's complex. I stopped cosplaying her for that reason. That's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, there's always a hundred Harley Quinn cosplayers at a show. Right. Well, it's, she's super popular for various reasons. Yeah. I'm like, I cannot stand this character who just stays in this abusive relationship. And, And that's understood. And, and, and so it's not, I think she just she represents what she represents and she's in the context of a spectrum of characters it's it's fine but if that's all you know about comics and superheroes and especially if you're just like I just obsess over this because I have a fixation then it's a problem but in context it's 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 good it's just out of context which is most of the time because of the way we work as a culture it's a problem and reintroducing her into the reintroducing her into the film world is going to broaden her her brand and broaden her exposure as a character in ways that will be out of context and mm-hmm. that's going to be problematic but the other option is to just ignore you know which is also not ideal right and the the thing with 
Harley and Joker and even Batman, that's um, been difficult sometimes across the consumer base is that there are different versions of them where there are children's appropriate versions and then there are very adult Yeah, I actually don't understand why there are children appropriate versions. That is where I'm like, what? I think that a teenage appropriate is fine because Well have you have you seen the superhero girls online little mini cartoons? I haven't watched them. I know they Okay, they're they're short. They're only like four minutes. Okay. But they are um I think that there is like a full length feature of the cartoon planned. It might probably also just be online, I don't know. But they just came out with the dolls. Yeah, I saw the dolls. And kids are now cosplaying them. So right. it includes it, it includes Katana, but it does include this young, you know, different kind of Harley Quinn okay. where she's she's the class clown. She's a big, you know, she's a goofball with a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, well, that so can be fine. I mean, it's, it depends it's how gonna be this. Yeah, it's going to be this different version as opposed to like when I read uh, Lee Bermeo, I think it was, and Brian Azzarello's Joker hardcover and yeah. – Harley was this um, – well, first of all, she was – she was you know, like her cover story was as a stripper while she was running the Joker's Empire the whole time. And she yeah. had not one speaking line right. in the entire graphic novel, not one. She was there to take her clothes off and then put her different outfits on and then uh, slice people into bits, like very evil and very yeah. violent. Um and the video games, I don't know. I, I don't play the games, so I really don't have much opinion except for the trailers. And she just looks like a character I despise. Um, yeah, that's where you're. That's where. That's where things have been. In that mindset, and that just completely limited perspective. And I think we're breaking through it, but it's really. It's so difficult. And so we need more Amanda Connors out there. <laughs> always make more Amanda Connors. Absolutely. So before I let you go, then let's talk about the great comics that, uh, you know, think, or, or movies, games, whatever you're doing too, and, and talk about things that you like. Um, I already mentioned Bitch Planet is one of my favorite things. It's, you know, even if there's um, there's obviously good versus evil in Bitch Planet, and it's a very yeah. adult adult book um but it's a comic that uh it's it delivers so much more because you can read just the comic book pages part yeah but in the back they'll have like two or three big essays a lot of letters in the letters column uh everybody's celebrating their non-compliant tattoos which is amazing it's so good I, i can't i want one so bad so um that's true. You know, that whole creative, it's a big creative team. And then they, like every third issue, they put out a one shot that focuses on just one of the, the main characters in the story. So you get a little bit more information. So it's a very interesting comic just in the assembly of it and the mm-hmm. contents of it. Um, so what kind of, of books have your, you know, heart these days? Oh, well, this is the thing. It was great being a kid in the 80s where there was one book a month that came out we were like, Oh, I like this book. <laughs> and then you could be like, I am a fan of this. Now I am in a situation 
I think, or we are all in a situation where it's not one book a month. It's you're you're completely screwed financially. And yeah, basically. You can't yeah. figure out what to read because you're like, oh, my friend's doing this awesome book. This person I don't know is doing this even better book. I better not tell my friend about that. <laughs> and then you're like, I do a book. I should probably promote that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I don't know. Um, there, I'm a huge fan of Tessa Fowler right now, or Tess Fowler. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Rat Queen is really good. I was going to say, is she, I was going to ask if she was still on Rat Queens, because I've, I've been reading that in trade, so yeah, I'm not caught up. I don't know. I'm always behind a little bit. So I think she's awesome, though. Um, I like, and it's probably because we come from similar perspective, but uh, yesterday, what's today? Oh, two days ago was the last issue of uh, Dark Corridor by Rich Tommaso, and he's starting She-Wolf. We just have a similar aesthetic. We're, I, I just like his work a lot, so I promote Okay, so is this a She-Wolf that's set in Sparta, New Jersey? <laughs> it might be. I actually have not paid attention to what the new story is, but it's coming out in June. Yeah, I think that's it. I was like, I, like I was just yeah. going to ignore this email that came through. I was like, well, what is this? And then I saw the line about the character being from Sp- I'm like, no way. This I, little podunk town. I think he went to school. I think he went to the Kubert school. That would explain. So it, that yeah. explains yeah. that. Um, but he's 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 just a really decent guy. Um, I don't know. There's so there really are so many. I guess the best advice is check my Twitter feed. <laughs> like check your Twitter feed for, for yeah. The there's always retweets. There are some, and and my favorite, absolutely my favorite thing is when I discover something new that I hadn't seen before, and I will obsess over that for the for the next week. Okay, so if you're a slow reader like I am, yes. Uh, because I, I, I'll get to something like five years later, you yeah. know, like I, it took me forever to get to Captain Marvel. So I'm still not, I still haven't even read Ms. Marvel yet with the new Kamala Khan. Get I know, the time, Amber, come on. I know, <laughs> awful. Um, I like, you know, the thing is I really like my comics to kind of like just be lighthearted a lot. Yeah. So Bitch Planet's pretty deep. But then I love things like Hero Cats because I'm like, I just need something fun and yeah silly and filled with beautiful cats well yeah i mean and the other thing is i read with my daughter we read comics every other night um because my wife reads real books with her okay um but like she's a huge lumberjane fan so i mean oh, i love it yeah. i mean there's just there's books that we go through and we read calvin and Hobbes when she was three every single strip and then it's just been nonstop since then yeah, Lumberjanes is, is definitely fantastic. Um, okay, so where can people find you then on Twitter to make sure they, they hear your recommendations? It's the one thing I've done really well. It's super easy. It's Ben Comics, the regular way, not with the X. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's probably the best place to find me in general. Right. Fantastic. Thank you, Ben, for your time. Thanks, Amber. Thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. This was great. You, so you guys, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Amber and Mouse to sponsor the show and the site. Follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. And uh, go follow Ben and tell him that uh, you appreciate the things that he's saying.